Enterprise Management 360. Hello, my name is Bob Tazi, a freelance IT industry analyst, and I will be moderating this EM360 podcast looking at securing the DevOps process. The past decade has seen a change in the way applications are delivered within businesses. Previously, it was common for developers to build applications and, once tried in a test environment, to hand the resulting code over to the live IT operations team for deployment into the production environment. Now it is common for the responsibility for everything from coding through testing to deployment to be handled by a single team. This all-inclusive process has been dubbed DevOps. The often cited benefits of DevOps are rapidly updated applications and a better accountability of developers. However, whilst DevOps may sound all-encompassing, critics say it needs to go further, as it often overlooks security, one of the most critical aspects of deploying applications into modern IT environments. Many think DevOps teams should make security a primary consideration. If DevOps was also responsible for security, it is felt that it would build more secure applications from the start and consider security applications at all stages of the software development lifecycle. Some have started using the term DevSecOps to describe this process. So, how should DevOps teams go about ensuring the applications they deliver are as secure as possible in the live production environment? To guide us through building security into the DevOps process, I am pleased to be joined by Kelly Shortridge, VP of Product Strategy at Capsule 8. Hello, Kelly. Could you start by telling us a little about Capsule 8 and yourself? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on. So Capsule 8 is a Brooklyn-based information security startup that protects Linux production environments, and that's regardless of deployment. So your data centers, cloud environments, containerized environments, all of them. And we do it by shutting down exploits and detecting all of the unwanted activity in those production environments that could potentially jeopardize your systems. I'm currently VP of product strategy at Capsulate, where I ensure we're understanding the market while also helping us communicate with the market, such as on podcasts like yours, and provide education around relevant topics too. And then in my spare time, I look generally at the intersections of information security and behavioral economics and speak internationally on those topics. Oh, great. Well, thanks very much for that intro, Kelly. Getting back to the basics, why has DevOps become the preferred way to deliver so many IT applications? It's a great question. I think DevOps, for one, is more of a mindset and a set of principles. And I think it's become the preferred set of principles for software delivery performance because it produces tangible, positive results. There's a great survey that I would recommend anyone really read, both on the book Accelerate, as well as in the State of DevOps report, which was put on by the firm Dora, which actually looks at empirical results regarding DevOps. And it shows pretty explicitly that companies that are more elite on their DevOps adoption have higher financial performance as well, which obviously any business is going to like making more money, being more profitable. So the fact that DevOps helps facilitate that is part of the reason why it's become so preferred. 
You said it involves a set of procedures. Can you give us some examples of those procedures? Sure. So I always call it a set of kind of guiding principles and again, a mindset. And I think the key mindset and the reason why DevOps is, you know, both development and operations is the prior paradigm is that developers would build their applications. And then once those were deployed in production, there was some sort of, you know, performance issue. They would basically chuck all of those issues over the wall to the operations team, which for one, obviously made the operations team pretty disgruntled, but also didn't make a lot of sense. There tend to be problems, you know, drawing on economics. There's the kind of moral hazard problem and the principal agent problem where if you have one group that is responsible for something and then another group is accountable, potentially those responsible can abuse that power because they're shielded from the risks. And that's exactly what was happening. So with the rise of DevOps, you're basically flattening that responsibility and accountability. So now with DevOps, they're responsible for building the applications. But if something goes wrong, uh, performance-wise, they're also now accountable for fixing that. So it creates a much better incentive paradigm where they build it kind of right in the first place to avoid having those problems down the line. Okay, you mentioned a research report. So we'll see if a link can be added when this podcast is put online so as the listeners can get access to that. Coming back to DevOps, why does DevOps change the way IT security is planned and delivered? I think there are a few different ways DevOps changes the way security is planned and delivered. So for one, scrambling and firefighting constantly without any semblance of strategy just won't fly. So the way that a lot of security teams operate just can't exist in a DevOps sort of world because the feedback loops are tighter, means you can't drag your heels on security reviews or go through the same sort of elaborate processes that you had in the days of monolithic applications because you know people are deploying potentially at some of these large companies, like let's say in Netflix or Amazon, you're seeing deployments you know, thousands of times a day. There's tons of code committed. You just can't take weeks and weeks in order to conduct security reviews. So you have to um, really change the strategy on a fundamental level. I would say, again, the potentially bigger shift is that collapsing of accountability and responsibility that I mentioned before. And this is actually what I'm going to be discussing in my Black Hat talk is similar to how there was this kind of bad incentive structure when developers would build something and weren't responsible for fixing it. I think that's very similar to what we see in security right now. I think it's easy to find in a room of security professionals, probably at least half of the room will relate very strongly to the idea that, okay, well, we didn't even build the application with all these bugs. Why are we responsible for fixing it? Or why are we you know, held accountable for these incidents when we weren't the ones to build the application in the first place? And I think that's something that's over the next few years, we're going to see a similar sort of collapsing where developers are going to be more responsible for actually implementing security fixes because they're the ones who introduced the security problems in the first place. I don't think we're there yet, but I certainly think that's going to have a huge impact on how security is planned and delivered as well. But to be clear, you're not suggesting that DevOps should overtake the whole IT security role. So what is the actual process by which this happens within IT departments? What is the the way that this new security-enabled DevOps or or security-responsible DevOps team works with the existing IT security function? 
So I'll say that I'm not not saying that. <laughs> um, in the Black Hat talk, part of my argument is that I think DevOps absolutely will supersede security if security doesn't catch up, frankly. DevOps just can't afford to deal with security people who get keep and drag their heels anymore. It's too damaging to the business, frankly. So I think if security does want to remain relevant and not get taken over by DevOps, it does have to adjust. And I think you know, as far as the process by which this actually happens, I think one, there's a ton of reticence we see by security professionals to adopt it. So I don't think there's a ton of precedence on which we can draw for how this sort of transformation should look. But I'll say that the first shift that I've seen where security more successfully works with DevOps colleagues is really about the shift in mindset. You have to view security as a business enabler rather than you know some sort of guardian of the security galaxy, so to speak. I don't think you need some sort of like master plan or huge initiative to get started transforming security into this more DevOps mindset. I think it's as simple as reaching out to your engineering colleagues and better understanding their software delivery pipelines than getting together and brainstorming how to fit security into that pipeline, you know, making sure you're working with them because you can't slow them down. After that, you need to determine what you want to measure. I've seen very few security programs that actually have a good kind of understanding of the metrics that are important not just in a security sense, but specifically security in the context of their organization, which is an important distinction. Then obviously you wanna measure it after that. And then at a more advanced level, you wanna conduct things like game days, uh, what security people know more commonly as tabletop exercises to really ensure your systems are resilient and that you're kind of covering your bases and making sure that you're testing in realistic scenarios on an ongoing basis. To be clear, if I work in a DevOps team and I'm responsible for developing a particular application, then surely my responsibility is to make sure that particular application is secure when it's deployed into the live environment. Whereas if I'm in the security function, then my role might be the whole of network security or something like that. So I mean, there must be a role for both people to play in that process and they must have to cooperate. I guess it's a, a degree of how far it goes. I would disagree with that. So I think the research is showing that with DevOps, those who are kind of elite DevOps performers or those adopting, for example, like a more cloud infrastructure, also containerized infrastructure and microservices, and specifically adopting the kind of NIS five core, I think it's called cloud competencies or the ones that perform better. Again, this is all in the report I mentioned earlier, the state of DevOps one. And so I think if you look at the security people in the past who were, you know, in charge of managing the Cisco ASA firewall or, you know, the network perimeter, that's frankly, it's going to be obsolete, I would say. And I think people should be starting to plan for, you know, making sure that you're covering cloud configurations better and things like that. But that's still, again, ensuring that you're securing the infrastructure component, I would say, is still part of applications. It's part of the application stack. It's just, I guess, a deeper layer of the stack. So I don't necessarily see that there's a huge distinction. I think where security has the most important role is they need to be the subject matter experts. I think it's similar, again, whether it's operations, things like database administration, you know, separate teams like that are becoming increasingly rare because what makes sense is to have that knowledge baked into whatever the application team is. So you want to make sure that you as a security person or the subject matter expert, you can speak intelligently about the application and about the infrastructure. Again, you can't be just a security generalist anymore. You have to think about it in context of your organization and in context of specific teams. So you need to be saying, okay, here's what we can actually do to make sure that we are securely delivering the software to our customers. 
But again, you can't be just doing checkboxes. You can't be thinking in that old school perimeter model because frankly, again, like DevOps is going to move past you and they're going to figure out a path forward to still adhere to security or compliance without you because, you know, they still need to maintain a very quick and efficient cadence and the traditional model of security just blocking and blocking and blocking won't work anymore. You've been absolutely clear. It really is a fundamental change in the way security is being delivered in the most advanced IT organizations. What sort of tools do these DevOps teams need to support this process? How do they achieve the security requirements they want and and indeed produce the metrics that you say are, are so important to demonstrating that they are achieving their security goals? Definitely. So I would say this is a question I get a lot. I want to stress first that I personally think before you look to any specific tooling to help with kind of the InfoSec and DevOps relationship, you have to make sure that mindset is in place. I think there's a danger in believing that DevOps is just about automating everything under the sun when, again, DevOps is really more of a mindset and that set of guiding principles. So automation is certainly part of it. But I think if you're trying to transform your security, as you put it, from this kind of traditional kind of old perimeter based way of doing things into this very radical shift where you have to think in a very different cultural way, I think that's essential before you move to tool implementation. But once you're there, assuming you have the right mindset, then I think having monitoring and observability are important. So observability isn't that common of a term in security, though it's very common on the DevOps side. So that's roughly what we would call sort of anomaly detection, but it's really more visibility into unknown unknowns. I think charity majors use the distinction as monitoring is visibility into known unknowns and then observability is unknown unknowns. And that's really the next step from a tools perspective. I think luckily DevOps is probably already collecting most of the data that you need for their performance use cases because they need to make sure that they're catching any anomalies that could risk availability. But then there are tools, obviously, I'll give a shout out to my own company, Capsulate, that provide you know the, all of the security data you need for monitoring observability specific on Linux production environments. And that can also be useful for operations from a performance perspective because it can be looking at things like CPU utilization, network utilization, you know, catching things like developers debugging in production, which they should never do. So you really want to make sure that you're collecting all of that data before you move really onto anything else, including automating workflows or things like that. Some of those functions you describe the tools doing sound like what some existing security products do, such as security information and event management tools. So are these tools a replacement for those or do they work alongside them and make use of the information that they already gather? No, I think SIMs are super useful. They're now native security consoles. Also, I think Amazon, Google, and Microsoft Azure all have their own security consoles now where they'll uh, basically centralize all of that collected data. I think it is definitely useful to have a SIM or other sorts of kind of alert aggregation tools where you can go to one place and sift through everything because it's a pain, right, to go jumping from tool to tool to tool. So I think it's these definitely work alongside these tools rather than replacing them. I don't think SIMs are going to go away for a long time, or at least in spirit, again, looking at like the kind of central security consoles or even, you know, on the DevOps side, they still have incidents. It's just of a different type. So they need to have a lot of the same tooling that security does. So there may start to be more of an overlap between incident response tools, log collection tools between DevOps and security. But I think those ingredients, so to speak, will stay the same. So thanks, Kelly. Yes. How do such tools overcome the security challenges 
that were inherent in the early days of DevOps. When people talk about these sort of security challenges with DevOps, I always ask what they mean because there's been a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt known as FUD regarding DevOps, particularly espoused by a lot of the security vendors, which kind of makes sense. I think what we see in practice is that the biggest security challenge thus far has been misconfiguration, particularly with public S3 buckets, which are Amazon's AWS cloud storage buckets. But then again, last fall, AWS added a reasonably prominent warning in the configuration settings for this cloud storage regarding public access. And they have a few other tools to check for misconfigurations as well. Most of the other providers do too, like Google and Azure. So I think if you look at kind of what we've actually seen in the wild, so to speak, the you know big, scary security challenges that people were talking about with DevOps haven't really materialized. So I gave a talk recently in New York at QCon, which is a DevOps conference that looked at some statistics. And for example, I think it was over half of CISOs were unwilling to allow container adoption within their companies. And it was mostly because their teams didn't understand it. And I think Perhaps what's most indicative is that 22% of CISOs thought that blockchain was the right solution for container security, which I think anyone familiar with containers know that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I think with any new technology, I think what we've seen among security professionals is there's inherent skepticism. And I think skepticism is very embedded in security culture. The problem is, again, the organization will continue to move on without you because that's what's most efficient and profitable, frankly, for the organization. So I think when we talk about, you know, security challenges with DevOps or microservices or cloud or whatever else kind of in modern infrastructure, security professionals need to be really careful and almost catch themselves um, being skeptical for its own sake and seek to first understand the technology deeply and then really think about, okay, what are the realistic threat models here? Okay, thanks for that. When we talk to IT managers, and indeed general managers of organizations, they often tell us how important IT security has become to their organization. The other thing they often talk about is regulatory compliance. Can the DevSecOps approach also help organizations with compliance as well as security? I think there are opportunities. I think there's a big hurdle with DevOps plus compliance, mainly because the compliance standards are very slow to catch up. I mean, they haven't even caught up to cloud, let alone you know, kind of microservices paradigm. So when you need to check the box for something like a firewall, for instance, responding that you have different like security groups in Amazon, you have like segmentation and other stuff. And the fact that firewalls just don't really matter as much in a microservices world, there's sometimes a little hesitant to accept that as an answer. And I think that's frankly, one of the bigger challenges, even more than security is um, waiting for them to kind of catch up and get wise <laughs> on the new threat models in this sort of like modern infrastructure landscape. So I think that's definitely one of the trickier challenges. I do think there's some opportunities, for example, like with Kubernetes and compliance, you can actually manage resources that are local to meet kind of the data localization laws, but you can still have centralized management of them, which in a certain way reduces costs and compliance burdens because then you don't have to build out data centers in foreign countries, you can just manage them all in the same place as you were before, but then have the resources on the ground, which is pretty great. I think there are probably other opportunities as well, but I will be the first to admit that I am not a compliance expert. The only other thing I'll add is that if you look in one of our resident compliance experts at Capslate has talked about this quite a bit, that 
If you look at across the compliance standards, file integrity monitoring is really the underpinning of most of them, you know, looking at who is getting file access, making sure that, you know, sensitive data isn't being tampered. File integrity monitoring becomes a lot simpler for one on Linux, which is part of the reason why Capsulate offers it as well, because you can think of everything as being a file on Linux. But it's also something that's necessary, again, for that monitoring and observability that you even need from a performance perspective. So I think if you are prioritizing in your kind of, you know, DevOps sort of program applied to security, you're probably going to be collecting the right data anyway. So we'll at least meet some of the basics for compliance. Okay, well, it's clear that the very fact that Capsule 8 has a compliance expert means that you've got something to say about it. So thanks for that. Just finally, you mentioned quite a lot about Linux as we've been talking about that, but you've also made it clear that a lot of the way applications are deployed today is abstracted to containers, microservices, cloud-based instances. But Capsule 8 does position itself as a providing DevSecOps for the Linux environment. Is that because Linux is the primary underlying platform used for both on-premise and cloud deployment these days? Yes, a little less familiar with on-premise, though I know that Linux is still pretty dominant there. But in cloud environments, I think with AWS and Google Cloud, it's at least over 90% Linux adoption. And even in Azure, it's over half is Linux rather than Windows Server, which is a pretty big statement given that's hosted by Microsoft itself. Especially when you're looking at cloud, I think Linux is absolutely dominant. Certainly with microservices and obviously containers, like Linux is by far and away the predominant platform. So that's that's really the reason why we focused on it. Also because, you know, Windows server, as far as I know, has its, for example, like Windows Defender, which as far as what I've been able to tell, it provides like good enough sort of protection for Windows servers, though obviously it may not be fully enterprise grade. But Linux, due to the nature of being open source, it has some interesting mitigations in place, but it obviously doesn't provide the same level of enterprise support and protection that someone like a Microsoft would. And there really is a gap in the market right now. Like you can't really port traditional Uh, endpoint detection response tools over to Linux production environments because they're way too heavy. They do batch processing, so it's going to clog up your network. And if you look at things like OS Query, like I love OS Query. I think it's a great project. But realistically, it's a lot for most enterprises to manage. You know, you really need security people that also have reasonably good amount of development experience and be dedicated to making sure that they can make OS Query kind of enterprise ready since it's open source. So there really is a gap right now for Linux that we're trying to fill in providing kind of easy to use protection that's still very operations friendly. So it's not going to flood a network. It's not going to crash a server. You know, it makes sure to have what we call a circuit breaker to make sure that if a host is under a heavy load, like we're not causing any problems. So having that very DevOps friendly mindset is not something you see very often with security, but is absolutely mandatory for Linux environments. Well, great. Thanks for that. It's clear from your answer that Linux is the dominant deployment environment, particularly in the cloud. And I had no idea that even on Azure, it's close to equivalents to Windows. Right. It's kind of nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to Kelly Shortridge of Capsulate for providing these insights into securing the DevOps process. And thank you for listening to this EM360 podcast. For more podcasts like this, head to em360tech.com.